right, all right. This is Jeff Antonio with a preview of this episode with Kendra Chantel. I got to tell you, this episode was absolutely fantastic. I thought that Kendra was very open about her experience in the music industry and her process and how she writes, how she records, the advantages of touring versus being in the studio. So if you want uh, a really just a fantastic episode from an artist that has so much talent and depth and really insightful about um, her art and how she gets her art out there into the world, I highly suggest you check this one out. And uh, here we go. Hello, hello. This is Jeff Antonio with the Jeff Antonio Show. And today we have a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kendra Chantel. How you doing, Kendra? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing even better now that I'm talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being on. So, uh, yeah, I have recently discovered your music. I've been checking it out, and I've just got to say, first and foremost, you have an amazing voice. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've, you've never heard that before. You haven't <laughs> Well, you can never hear it too many times. That's for sure. It's like, no, never. <laughs> you have a great voice. Um, it's something, it's, uh, it's a cool blend. It's not just one thing. It's, it's, it's kind of rootsy. It's kind of, um, it's got a little bit of a Southern feel. Um, but it's got a whole lot of soul. And is that on purpose or is that just something that you just kind of created out of thin air, that, that sound? I think it's something that took me a while to finally figure out like what um, what balance of each it was, but I just come by them all very naturally. Like I am from East Tennessee. Um, so the Southern rootsy thing is something that I couldn't hide if I wanted to. Um, and then I just grew up singing soul music. My mom is a great singer. Um, the first song I ever learned was Chain of Fools because she wanted me to sing the harmony with her. So uh, I just grew up always singing soul. So I can't imagine doing anything without that now. Wow. That is so cool. So at what age did you start singing? Oh my goodness. I, I really think about like three. <laughs> very, very early. And you just come from a musical family or like your mom was a singer? Yeah, my mom's a great singer. My dad's a drummer. Um, my mom's mom is a singer and a guitar player. So it's just something that we've always done. And uh, there's a hint of, of church in there. Am I wrong or did you sing in the church? Oh, you're totally right. Um, I, I grew up singing in church and I also spent several years studying with a gospel vocal coach. Um, he was instrumental in kind of getting me out of my comfort zone. And at the point that I started to study with him, I was only able to really like mimic my favorite singers. Um, I think every young singer kind of goes through that phase. And I had no idea, like, how do I want to sing things? And we pretty much would spend about two hours each session just going through old church songs and he would make me sing them different each time. And it was awesome. <laughs> wow. That sounds like the ultimate training. 
it was amazing and it was it was great spiritually too i mean i think um a lot of it you know provided more than just vocal growth that's really interesting so i take it this teacher was probably a heck of a vocalist as well oh my gosh he can sing his face off <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool so that was what age did you start that um, I started taking voice lessons around the age of 13, but I think I started studying with him around 14 or 15. His name is Trey Simmons, by the way. He's in Nashville. If you ever need to, um, anyone out there listening, if anybody ever needs just like a spiritual and vocal healing, please find Trey Simmons with Bravo Voice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, most definitely. So, I mean, was it at that point? point when you started taking those vocal lessons you realized like that sounded pretty good I mean what what point did you realize that there was something going on I, I wish it took I, I feel like it took quite a while for me to feel like I was sounding good um it's funny because my parents like talk about their experience hearing me singing my whole childhood um and my mom who's the best singer, but also like, you know, she's a tough critic. <laughs> um, she always talks about how she would hear me singing and just be like, oh my gosh, what is she doing? And my dad would always be like, I think she's going to be awesome. But you know, the pieces just haven't like come together yet. Um, but he like always kind of felt like he was hearing little hints of greatness. Um, I feel like I didn't really start to find true confidence in my voice uh, until about the age of 16 or 17. Um, up until that point, there were little moments where it felt really good. But for the most part, I just was so nervous that I never had a lot of confidence trying things. And you really need um, a certain amount of confidence for things to go well vocally. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it is, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, part of it is natural ability, but I think so much of it's mental. It's, it's in spiritual as well, but it, it's, yeah. it's where your headspace is uh, versus just sheer talent. I mean, it's part of it is talent, natural ability, but your headspace counts so much as a part of it. It really does. I think just your emotional ability to like allow yourself to try things. I think the talent and the natural ability will show up if your your head and your emotions can get out of the way. <laughs> so what was that pivot point? I'm sure there was some kind of show or something, an event around that time where you said, you know what, I got something. It was actually a scholarship program. It's something that was called uh, the Junior Miss program. Um, I competed in my local, like county level, and I actually won as a junior in high school. Um, and I, you know, kind of fumbled through the, there was like a little fitness portion where you had to do this funny like cheerleader workout routine in front of everybody. And that was pretty laughable. I have to be honest, anyone who has footage of that, it's like pretty bad. Um, and then we wore evening gowns and we were judged on like our poise and grace. And there was an interview portion, but then there was a talent portion. And for that, I had worked on a 
my performance for a really long time with my vocal coach. And I did Stormy Weather, which is a great old Billie Holiday classic. And I wore this like really cool old dress of my mom's and something happened during that performance where I just felt like the most myself I'd ever been. And, you know, I was a, I had a not great experience in middle school and high school. I was pretty nerdy. I just didn't have a lot of people like me in my school being the creative, um, you know, musical person in a very small town in East Tennessee was not the norm. So I never felt like myself and I never felt good about that. But that night of that program, when I sang my song, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's about. And the performance went great. And I just remember that connection of being like, oh, I have got to do a whole lot more of that because that was awesome. And I realized that because I felt so great about being myself, I think that's what made the singing feel really good and sound good. And it's amazing. And you said you won the competition, right? I did. I went on to compete on the state level. And I mean, that's where it ended for me. I was not a pageant girl, but for me, I always treasure that experience because it was the first moment that I just felt incredibly at home on stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of us as artists um, have a, have that pivot moment where you realize like you're, you're moving from, you know, kind of playing at it to like really embodying the music. And uh, I totally know what you mean. Um, where did you go from there? What happened after that? So after that, I, um, I had been taking the voice lessons that I mentioned before. Those were based out of Nashville, which is where I live now. And it's about a three hour drive from the town that I grew up in. So I had been making trips to Nashville pretty frequently for lessons. And I also had started doing some session work and kind of learning the ropes in the studio. Uh, my parents had a couple friends here that had studios just from the time that they had spent in the music business and they connected me with a few of those people so I could start learning how to act in the studio and how to create. And um, by the time I moved here when I was about 19, I had a pretty great community already. Um, and when I moved here, I just kind of hit the ground running. I, I started pursuing my artistry and I started writing songs with people in town and through a lot of trial and error, um, I discovered what was not my sound, and I finally discovered what was my sound. <laughs> That's so cool. Now, now, just on a side note, because I want to keep on with your journey, but to those who don't know, um, tell us a little bit about Nashville and the scene over there. Nashville's got an amazing music scene, and it's changed tremendously since I moved here. I moved here in 2008 and it has just exploded. Um, in the last few years, we've seen a huge influx of people moving from New York City and LA and all over the country and the world. Um, we're definitely known for country music, but there's so much more going on here. There's a huge rock scene. Um, there's a lot of Americana here. There's just the greatest players also, like the best of the best of every kind are all here. Um, and it's, it's really interesting, you know, like any cafe or store, anywhere you go where there's somebody working, 
you could just say like, hey, what do you play? And you'll get a real answer. They play something, they sing something, they write something. It's like everybody here does something and they do it really well. Um, and something I've always really loved about Nashville is there's definitely a big community vibe here. Uh, in my experiences in other entertainment towns like Atlanta, New York, and LA, there's a big competitive edge. And, and you know, that's normal. I get it. But here, there's just collective, like, if I can help you, I will. You know, I might not be able to, but you just don't feel like it's so cutthroat here. It's very much like, yeah, we might be trying to do the same thing, but we can still be friends, you know? That's what I've heard. It's very collaborative and helpful and intense in its own way because there's a lot of action going on, but it doesn't have that L.A., you know, New York cutthroat feel, which uh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, it's kind of the best parts of it, but with an, a level of comfort, you know, and it can be overwhelming. I mean, most of the people that move here were probably the only person that did what they did in their hometown, you know or they were the best and you move here and you're like still great, but there are thousands of people that do exactly what you do just as well, if not better. <laughs> so it can be very overwhelming at first. I can imagine. I can imagine. And yeah, I've heard that it's booming and, you know, uh, I think I was talking to another songwriter and they said, uh, if you don't see a crane in you know, near where you live, then you're probably not in Nashville. Because it's so much building, right? Oh my goodness, it's so much. And it's happening so fast. Like last year when I was on tour, every time I would come home from a week or two run, the skyline would be different. Or like there would be a new building or there would be a new crane somewhere. And I was like, I cannot keep up with Nashville right now. <laughs> that is a trip, but sounds so cool. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, you, you made the move to Nashville, and uh, it was early on in your career. So once you kind of got into the scene and got familiar with the studios and what have you, I mean, what was what was after that? Um, I ended up being on season 10 of American Idol. Um, they came to Nashville, and um, it seemed like a good idea, and I made it pretty far on the show, and that was amazing. It was a really cool experience and I, I gained um, a really nice fan base that stayed with me since then. Um, and upon leaving the show, I was able to join an Armed Forces Entertainment tour um, for American Idols Live. And I got to play music for US troops in about 10 different countries. And um, I made a record when I got off the show that year and, and put that out in 2011. Um, it is an R&B record. It's way more R&B and hip hop than what I'm doing today, but it was really fun in that season. It felt very relevant to where I was at. Um, and I put that out and played some shows and supported that for a while. Um, and then I got a little bit burned out um, if I'm being honest, which I think is a very, very normal part of the creative process. I'm sure is yes. I'm sure you can relate. Oh yeah. Um, I just reached a point where, um, I think looking back, it's easy to recognize that I was always trying to be everybody else's version of, of myself. And I hadn't yet figured out what my own version was. Um, and that's a special kind of exhausting. So I got really burned out and I took a step back and 
was given the opportunity to be a backup singer for an amazing rock artist. I don't know if you are familiar with Tom Kiefer. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he had the band Cinderella in the 80s and 90s. He is just a tremendous blues and rock artist. Um, so I started touring with him doing percussion and singing background vocals. And I've done that now for the last six years. And I even got to write a song with him that was on our last band record that came out last September. Um, and, you know, sometime in the last year or two of doing that and writing songs with my friends in town, I realized, I think I do know who I am now musically, and I think I'm ready to represent that. And I had songs, you know, showing up, I was writing songs left and right. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think it's time to make a record again. <laughs> so here we are. That's, that's, you know what, and I love your honesty. Um, and to those who don't know, or, you know, most musicians and artists, you know, you've, you've probably been through what Kendra's talking about. But yeah, I mean, there, there comes a point in time where you're trying really hard with your music career, and it gets a little bit confusing, at least it was for me, and uh, you kind of, you don't know where you're at with it because you, you love the music like you love it. It is your soul. It is your being, right? But at the same time, it's like you're, 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 you're hooked on making it. So you're, you're doing things with it. And you're like, is this me? Is it not me? Or, is, or am I attempting to advance my career? And it gets a little confusing. And, and I think sometimes that, that leads to a burnout and... And I think it's great that you, you know, you kind of went through that and then came back knowing who you were. Yeah, it's definitely not easy in the moment, but I think it was worth it um, knowing what I know now and getting to experience the difference in the two. It's just so rewarding to just authentically represent yourself um, and not be fitting into any box. And, you know, it's just, it's so easy to do that. It wasn't that I didn't have ideas of what I wanted to do. It was that people would go like, wow, you sound really good singing R&B. And I would be like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. You know, or you sound really good doing this. Have you ever considered doing this? And I'm like, well, if, if that's what people would like, I would love to do that. You know, it's, it's not so much selling yourself out. It's not as obvious as I think people think it must be. I think it just comes from like a very genuine, like want to be agreeable and like want to be working, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I respect you for your journey because I mean, let's face it, you know, there are some people out there who may have these dreams, but never took the first step or not even the first 10 or 20 and I can tell, I mean, you haven't told me every facet of your career, but I'm sure you've taken, you know, 50 to 100 steps, you know, and so I can, I can hear the passion, you know, and, and your background and, and clearly your talent. So, I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those things you're driving really hard. I know for me at one point, for me, it just, I was fixated on getting the deal. I had to get the record deal, you know, and. And I would do anything to do it, you know, and, and, and then it got to a point where it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, it's like, I want to do a deal, but I still want to kind of be me 
And, you know, where's the mix between? Not that you can't be yourself and get a deal, but sometimes you can lose yourself in just pursuit of, especially in a town like, you know, probably Nashville or L.A. So that's so interesting. I mean, tell me how how did, how did you find yourself? There's so many people listening that would probably like to know. How do you go from that feeling to actually finding your authentic self? I think there's probably, you know, multiple ways to do so. I know in my experience, it kind of took me stepping away from the high pressure situation where, you know, every time I wrote a song, I felt like the people around me were going like, well, do you think that's the sound? Um, what, what do you think that sounds like in the studio? Should we record it right now and figure that out? And I felt like everything um, just coming from that got rushed and it got influenced. And I think that that happens from genuine excitement and wanting to be encouraging and, you know, wanting to strike while things are hot. But what it ultimately took for me was kind of shutting out that noise for quite a while and keeping it really to myself. You know, the only people that got to hear what I was working on were the very small number of people that I was collaborating with. And I even was really honest with them while we were writing, you know, in Nashville, people that are writers can be really focused on getting cuts and wanting to know what's going to happen with their songs. So before I even like wrote with a couple of my favorite writers, I just said like, hey, I have no idea if I'm going to record these. I'm kind of like figuring it out right now. If that's going to upset you, don't write with me because I don't have a timeline. <laughs> like... I don't have a trajectory. I just want to write some songs because I have a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> so they were totally fine with that. Um, and after doing quite a bit of that, I started to realize like I had this pile of songs that kind of went together. And without asking the advice of everyone around me, I kind of knew what they needed to sound like in the studio. And that was the first time I ever experienced that. And I just think it's very easy when you're surrounded by brilliant creatives to immediately take on everyone's idea of what it should be. You know, you write this song or you have this idea and somebody goes like, oh yeah, you should have this kind of band and, and this kind of sound. And because you sing like this, we should do this. And then before you know it, you've never even had the chance to have your own idea. Um, so I kind of had to put up some strong boundaries and just hole up and wait until I could hear through all that noise and then, you know, in, invite my creative team into that idea. But I just needed some time and space for it to show up for me. I don't know if that's how it works for everybody, but um, for me, I needed to just kind of shut everything else out so I could hear myself. That's, I mean, that's, that seems like the perfect recipe for putting it together. Um, and I really like what you did. You just kind of, you found a way of taking the pressure off by letting, you know, people know that you're working with, hey, I'm, I'm figuring it out. And so instead of the conversations, you know, and you know how it can be when you're in the studio, it's like, oh, you know, does it sound like this? Does it sound like this? Does it sound like this latest sound? Does it, you know, it's this comparison you you kind of got yourself out of that and just really figured out what you wanted to sound like and then 
you found a, a team of people to build around that to, to move forward. Yeah, I feel like in the past, it was always the opposite. Um, and once again, these things happen super genuinely. I don't think anybody ever sets out to just like maliciously overtake someone's creative vision. It's just when we're creative people, you can't help but have an idea when you hear an idea, you know, and if you're having way too much of that, you don't have room for your own idea to just give life to itself, you know, <laughs> so leaving time and space for that was really, really helpful. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. So another thing that I think artists struggle with is finding the right team because you can always find a team and you know or, or a group of individuals that you want to work with but finding a team of people that are really listening to where you want to go and are in that lane you know either they're there already or they're working towards that vision how did you do that i feel super super lucky and blessed to have had the team of collaborators that I did on this record. Um, one of the co-producers is a really great friend of mine named Brad Sample. Um, he's somebody that I've known most of my time in Nashville. And I wrote a big chunk of the songs on the record with him. Um, he was one of those people that I was getting in a room with going like, hey, don't be bummed out if I don't do anything with this song for three years because I don't know what I'm doing right now. And he was like, hey, do your thing, man. And he was always really like no pressure and always just like, I'm genuinely a fan of what you have to say and how you sing. And I'm here to help in whatever capacity you want. And he's also just a tremendous instrumentalist and producer. So when I started to realize that I wanted to make a record, he was the obvious choice um, because he has an amazing way of having his own vision, but keeping room for mine as well and making sure they're not fighting. Um, he is an artist as well. So I think he really understands the importance of letting that speak for itself. And um, the other producer on the record is a good friend of both of ours named Bobby Holland. And he is just super creative, super fun, super kind. Neither one of them is a very what I would consider like pushy energy. Like there's no ego involved. Nobody needs to be right. They're not um, the kind of collaborators that keep a score sheet of like, well, I'm the one who decided on that drum sound, you know, like they just don't do that. So they're really fun to work with. And um, we, the three of us kind of picked a band together out of people that we knew in town and you know, a lot of the decisions on the record, it was just like the three of us would sit down and kind of hash it out. And I never felt like my voice wasn't being considered. I never felt like they were making decisions and telling me after the fact, like it just felt like a very, very um, seamless collective effort, which is exactly how it should be. That is great. So, you know, when you go into the studio and you're doing your thing, how do you get into your creative zone that day, put on your A game and kind of block out the outside world? I do a lot because um, <laughs> the studio is my absolute favorite place. I have more studio experience now at this point than I do live experience. 
Um, so it is like my happiest place. And there's a few things that I do that really help me have a great studio experience. Um, I always like to get dressed up kind of like I'm having a show day. Like, you know, you want to wear comfortable stuff because you're going to be there all day. And if your clothes are uncomfortable or your shoes are uncomfortable, it's going to be hard to like not focus on that. But within the parameters of something that feels good, I love to just like look like I'm ready for a show because that makes me feel really great about myself. Um, I usually bring like candles and turn the lights down low and kind of just create a vibe. Um, I make sure that I can hear myself really well and hear what I want to hear in the track because, you know, you need that perfect balance to feel really confident and I also bring a, uh, a little straw phonation cup. <laughs> um, I'm a vocal coach now too. And something that me and a lot of my peers use is um, a cup for singing. You call it straw phonation, but it's really, really great for your vocal cords, like right before you sing. Mm. So I always have one of those in the studio. So if I feel like I need an extra little boost, I can sing on the straw for a couple of minutes and get everything tightened up and... Um, so yeah, I put a lot of effort into it. I just try to be like totally head in the game. I keep my phone completely off um, just so I can't be distracted. Like nothing in the outside world is invited into studio day. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, especially turning off the phone. I mean, we're all guilty of it. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, you're messing with your phone and the engineer's looking at you like, what are you doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've got. I will say everyone that works with me knows. Like the first thing I do is I go get like a a really great studio selfie because I love selfies with studio mics. <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, phones off, heads in the game. Wow, you you have a bulletproof plan. I gotta tell you, and I really like the part about you you get dressed up like you're doing a show. I think that would definitely help get you in the mode for sure. Yeah, and I know we're all different. Like, I have friends that are like, oh, man, I just, like, want to be in my PJs because I feel really good. And I'm like, that's awesome. For me, that doesn't feel like um, just great singing time. You know, like, I sleep in my PJs. So <laughs> for me, that doesn't really inspire me to just go be my, like, best self. Um, Unless that's a part of the show. But, yeah, I mean. It yeah, but if I feel, like, just really glam and, like, I'm feeling myself, then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sound confident, too. That's so cool. So, so you're in your zone. You guys are working on the tracks like you did. Um, and everybody's, you know, in a great creative space. No one's kind of, you know, everybody's kind of collaborating, doing their thing. At what point do you know or did you know when the songs were done? Because as you know, you know, being a studio, you know, it's, it's, you can do endless takes, you can do endless instrumentation, trying this mix, taking out this. How do you know when it's like, okay, that's it. This is the sound, mix it down, master it. Yeah. I feel like that's always the hardest part for me. Um, especially because I don't know, one of my favorite parts of the entire process is doing all of the background vocals and all the weird little extra vocal parts and that can get way too much really quick and that is definitely where I feel like Brad and Bobby really helped rein me in um 
they are great about letting me go one step too far just so I can hear it back and hear how much it doesn't need to be there. <laughs> um, and that's really, you know, helpful. Um, 50 years ago when everyone had to get something all together in the same take, we didn't have that luxury. We can totally put in one too many things now and go, yep, you're right. That was just one step too far. Um, and I think the same with uh, lead vocal day, like I would sing things a hundred more times probably if I didn't totally trust my teammates that were like, trust me, you nailed it. That was exactly how it should be. You don't need to keep revisiting this. Um, it's hard for me to find a stopping point sometimes with that because I feel like, you know, there's always room to improve, but I, I will say this album that we did, I can actually listen to it top to bottom and there's not a single thing I would change, which is amazing. I've never felt that way about anything I created before. So wow. yeah, wow. we figured out the balance. Nothing's bothering you. I tell you, I, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've never felt that before. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> there's always something, right? There's just like, this. just that last lead at the end of the song should have done the alternate take. And yeah, no, I know that feeling. Well, that's cool. And another thing that you said that I thought was interesting about your process is that you had recorded or written a bunch of songs and then you you kind of figured out what songs went together to make the album. How do you do that? Um, I, I only have my own experience. I don't think I'm the law of how everyone should do it. But for me, I kind of sat down with Brad and Bobby and um, I had created a Dropbox of, I think there were like 28 or 30 songs that I felt like I had weeded out, you know, the obvious like choices of what I felt like anything that I didn't think was strong enough. I just went ahead and took out myself, but there were 38 or 28 to 30 songs that I felt like I can't choose here. I love all these. I'm not sure, you know, what direction I should be going here. And I don't think I need to make three records. So I need to whittle this down. And we all just kind of listened together and they each wrote down what songs they felt like should be on the record. And we picked a number um, for everyone to stay at. And there was just a couple other friends too that I like shared that Dropbox folder with. And I was like, if you had to pick, you know, like your top 10 to 12 songs, what would they be? And I started to see a pattern um, of a lot of the same songs showing up as everyone's choices. And uh, those became the record. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you kind of played it around and you got a feel of which ones seemed to get a response. Yeah. That's very cool. And then how, what about sequencing? Were you, did it take a long time to figure out which, which order or how do you do it? What's really interesting is we didn't do the sequence until after the record was made. Um, and we kind of sat down, the three of us, once again, me, Brad and Bobby, and we listened and we each wrote down what we thought the order should be. And they were pretty much all the same. There was like maybe one thing that was different among all three of the lists, but we were kind of shocked that it kind of just made sense. Like there was just an obvious flow and we all found that. So we were like, well, I guess that's how that works. 
That's so cool. You kind of do like a law of averages, it seems like, and that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that's, you know, that's what's ultimately where it's going to live is people's ears, right? So. Well, I think that's the way to do it, you know, kind of play it around and figure it out. You know, I mean, it's some things you could do by gut, but I think something like that figuring out what songs resonate and figuring out, you know, the averages of sequence. I mean, it, it's, it seems very well, well thought out, well done. Um, so after the album was done, I mean, what, what happened after that? So after we finished the album, sent it off to get ma- uh, mixed and mastered and all that great stuff. And I actually had planned to release it at the top of this year, um, thinking about like March, um, and this is where gut comes into play. I just kept having this like horrible gut feeling of like, I have no rational reasoning, except that I think this is a bad idea. Mm. And I, you know, I was really checking myself. I'm like, you know, I believe in the art. It's not that like, I'm not scared. Like it's not that, but something just feels really wrong about this timing. And looking back, if I would have released it when we originally planned, I think that it would have completely gotten swept under the rug of the news with the COVID big shutdown that happened in the middle of March. Um, So I'm really thankful that I didn't put it out then because I would have hated for it to just get completely, you know, wiped out by that stuff. Absolutely. And oddly enough, you know, the last few months I started to realize like content wise, this album kind of lends itself to this season that we're all living in now. Um, Obviously, I never knew what was coming. I hadn't lived 2020 yet um, when I wrote any of these songs, but I started to think about it like a month or two ago. And it was like, I have to put this out because we're all living this moment now. And I think that it's the strangest best timing (laughs) so here we are (laughs) that is such a trip so i mean you had a bad feeling didn't know what it was but there's just something that just said don't do it now yeah sure enough covid happens (laughs) and then the album you know coincidentally relates to you know kind of what's happening right now that's amazing Yeah, I'm so thankful for those little things that can't be explained, you know, those little serendipitous happenings where I'm like, I guess this is just, you know, every now and then if you're doing what you're supposed to, little things like that happen. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, it's, it's always a balance of, you know, intuition and and what have you. And it seems like, you know, you, you have that working. Um, It's really cool. So is the plan to uh, release the album next year or what's the plan no i actually released it last friday oh Um, awesome it is out in the world yeah and i put out um two singles beforehand um i put out beautiful and tragedy at the end of june and then i put out i still believe i think the day before halloween um and then i just released the full-length record friday and yeah, I'm just so glad that it exists outside of my mind and my car now. <laughs> well, I think it's, to me, honestly, I think it's the right time now. Um, I think it's been a tough year for all of us, and we need something to hold on to. 
um, that's that's positive and good and you know your music being what it is I think it's it's the right time and I think it's what people need because it's you know it's been a little bit grim 2020 but uh, we need uh, we need a, a bright light yeah and there was definitely a part of me that was like man this this whole year is just not a great year to release music and I think that was just kind of maybe the selfish and the logical part of me but then I you know just thought about the fact that no matter what has happened historically and will happen, people need and want music, you know, and what better time than the present? I think there's no better time. I mean, I am always listening for new music and checking out the radar release on Spotify. And I got to tell you, this year has been a slow year. Um, and it, it didn't even really hit me till you know, probably a month or so ago. But, you know, every Friday I'd listen for some new tracks of artists that I've, you know, liked or followed. And it would just kind of be empty. Maybe there'd be a few remixes in there. And I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, well, it makes sense, COVID. But yeah. it does seem to be picking up now. And it seems like the mood is, is getting better. Yeah, and I have to think, too, I think we're going to see a big wave of music because... I think the majority of people who had planned to be on the road this year are home, you know, and probably making records. So I think we're about to see a big, big wave. Fantastic. That is awesome. We need music. It's uh, it's so crucial. I think a lot of people don't even realize, you know, it's almost like when you meet somebody and, you know, it's like, what's your favorite type of music? And they're like, oh, I don't really listen to music. You're like, what? <laughs> you <laughs> you don't breathe like do you breathe yeah uh, what do you do with yourself yeah but um that's i think that's awesome and i really like how you you turned it around and ended up releasing it and that is one of my favorite tracks is beautiful and tragedy um tell me a little bit about that what's it about and wh where's it coming from thanks so much for listening to it um i wanted to create these like fictional characters um one being beautiful and one being tragedy. And I just wanted to kind of tell a story and show the relationship between the two and how often they kind of get mislabeled. You know, it's like in so many moments that look beautiful, there's an underlying tragedy. But in so many moments that start off looking tragic, there's this, you know, outcome that's beautiful and surprising. Um, and I did a really cool, like, collaborative video for the song. I had, like, all of us were at home on lockdown, you know, and I just reached out to, like, all my favorite people and asked them to, like, write on pieces of paper, like, something that started off tragic that turned out to be beautiful and to use, like, the hashtags beautiful and tragedy for each one. And people's stories were just like so amazing. I, I got to make this video showing all the different slides and some of it was as simple as like, you know, I had a whole summer tour planned and it got canceled, which was tragic, but now I have time to be a plant mom, which is beautiful. And others would be like, you know, my parents got really sick and almost died and that was really tragic but now they're doing great and we are so much closer and that's beautiful. And so there was like varying levels and just, I don't know, something about it was so more powerful than I ever imagined when I wrote the song, when I got to kind of see 
all of that in action. That's such a cool concept. So um, you incorporated that in the video with all the, the writings? Yeah, uh, the video pretty much is like a slideshow of all these people like holding up their tragedy and then flipping it over and it's beautiful and it's so cool. Wow, that's really deep. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, I love your, I mean, of course, as I've already told you, love your vocals. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, no, but the track itself, it's cool. I really like the styling and the feel of it. Um, Kind of reminds me a little bit, it's just a feel of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Brassard. Oh my gosh, he is one of my favorites. That's such a compliment for me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it's just like this down home, and you know Mark, Mark brings it, you know. Um, yeah. But it's like this down home, rootsy, uh, soulful, it's got a, a pinch of rock and roll in there, but it, it's just, it's something you can really hold on to, and um, I really like it. And there's another artist that reminds me a little bit of, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Nika Costa. Oh, I am. Big fan. Yeah, these are like ultimate compliments. <laughs> well, you, hey, you've earned it. Um, but that's, you know, the, the feel of it. Um, it kind of reminded me of that production and that style and that feel. And I immediately liked it. I just said, this is something that's very real and uh, it's just got such a great sound. Thank you. That means we... We did something right. <laughs> I think you, I think you did do it. Now I did, uh, you know, play around and I heard a couple of your other tracks, and uh, I heard the song "Magnetic." Tell me about that. Yeah, that was on my album uh, that came out in 2011. Um, that entire album was such an interesting and totally different creative process. Um, I had actually written a bunch of songs and made a record that we totally missed the mark on and I got done with it and realized like I cannot release this so went back to the drawing board and there was a producer in Atlanta who had approached me a few years before about making some records together and we had written a few things but he happened to reach out right around the time where I was going wow I just made a record I can't use and I don't know what to do um, and he was like, hey, you know, I still really want to make a record together. And I was like, well, I am on a big timeline because I wanted to get something out really quickly after American Idol. Um, so I went down to Atlanta and got in the studio with Elvis. Um, Elvis Williams, he's amazing. He's won Grammys for working with Sierra and Beyonce. And he is just brilliant and so creative. And I played him all the songs that I had. I had, you know, probably 25 songs at that time that I thought were worthy of recording. And he was like, yeah, if I'm going to make a record with you, we're just going to like start from scratch. And every day for like two weeks, we would go in the studio and he would be like, how do you feel today? And we would start to talk about our feelings and he would start to build a track and I would go write lyrics and melody to it in the studio, like in the booth. We would record it as we were coming up with it. And, you know, we would get a song or two done a day. Wow. And Magnetic was one of those where like, he had the track and I heard it. And the first thing that popped into my head was the word magnetic. And I am such a huge Mariah Carey fan. And I had never really 
done anything at that point of my career that really lent itself to her crazy like falsetto-y you know delicate singing and I was like this is going to be my Mariah moment (laughs) um that it's still like my Mariah moment I think in my career I love that song and people still really like reach out about that one and love it yeah it's a fun memory (laughs) no I mean it has that feel to it immediately I was drawn to it like wow that's just super cool um and again your great vocals I like what you're saying in it and um thank you yeah just the whole thing was like wow Um, that's that's really cool and that's interesting so it's so great going through these songs with you because each one has its own story um so you had done the album after American Idol and uh but you weren't feeling it and so you redid it with Elvis yeah well I mean I would say we redid it but we ended up just kind of scrapping all those songs and starting over but the album that I released that year was what I did with Elvis yeah that's that's so cool and that's another thing too um is that I have heard of that technique where it's just like you know you're coming in the studio and you start off with how you feel instead of, you know, trying to get into a feeling. You just go with how you feel. You think that works well? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I've always operated. Even when I write songs, you know, beforehand, it's always like, how am I feeling? Um, I envy those people that are able to have a very, like, formulated approach of, like, this is what people want to hear and this is what we should write about. And, you know, I know so many friends that are great songwriters, but they just get like a cool idea and they save it. And, you know, six months later, they go down their idea list and they write songs that way. And I am just not one of those people. <laughs> For me, it's always like, how do I feel? What are my feelings right now? And <laughs> but that seems more natural, though. I mean, that seems to be instead of going against the tide, going with it. Yeah, be- I mean, for me, that's what works. Um I think it's so cool that people are able to come from another place, but that is not a reality in my world. <laughs> well, well, your reality is, is, is you know, it's, it's, it's happening. I, I like what I'm hearing. So one thing that, you know, I've noticed is that you definitely said you've got a strong studio background, but at the same time, you know, you've, you've toured, you did the USO tour, American Idol tour, and then, of course, toured with Tom Kiefer, Cinderella. What's what's the difference between the two? What are the pros and cons to each? Because they're, they're two different worlds. Yeah, I love them both for totally different reasons. I mean, in the studio, you have this like ability to kind of outdo yourself. Um, and you have the ability to hear perfectly and to just get really weird and try things. And if they don't go well, it's okay because you can just record right over them and you can layer things and, you know, you can just create in such a unique way in the studio. But there's something so profoundly like unique about each live performance too. I think every time you perform something, it's a little bit different because the energy that you're getting from the crowd that you're in front of each time is so different. And I don't think it can be recreated. So there is a magic that happens live where, you know, there's that beautiful dance between you and the audience where 
they're feeding off of what you're doing and you're feeding off the way they're feeding off of it. And it kind of just becomes this thing that can't really be recreated in the studio either. You know, you can get all the perfect details and do it a hundred times in the studio, but it'll probably never have the energy that it has live because you didn't do that alone, you know? Absolutely. And tell the audience that, you know, for the ones that haven't been there, don't know, I know exactly what you mean where it's, you know, you do a show and there's just this moment in time where you're just in a moment in time. You're locked in with the audience. The band is sounding amazing. You're sounding great. Uh, tell, tell us what that feels like to be in that moment. Man, it just feels incomparable to anything else. And I find a lot, you know, I've noticed it with myself, but I hear it a lot from clients as a vocal coach. People will be amazed at what they're capable of during those moments, because when you're feeding off of so many people that are collectively loving what you're doing or they're singing the words with you, it's like a shared energy um, the adrenaline that kicks in and the excitement that kicks in, it kind of makes you superhuman and you're kind of more capable of doing things than you normally are. So you'll find yourself hitting bigger notes and like doing things differently, you know, like you'll hold out something a lot longer and you just find strengths that you don't normally have because you have energy that you don't normally have. It's coming from a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, it's electric. It's, uh... it is it's spiritual it's it's all these things happening at one time and uh it's just a beautiful beautiful thing um who were your favorite singers growing up who were your biggest influences vocal wise and i have so many um i can't even believe this is real life but my first concert was ray charles um when i was five years old my parents took me to see him at the tennessee theater and I just remember being so like obsessed with everything he was doing the entire night and just like grabbing my dad's arm and being like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Oh my gosh, he's so good. And just being completely enamored with every detail of what he did. Um, my ultimate favorite entertainer of all time is Michael Jackson. I obsessively watched and heard and studied like every you know videotape of live concerts growing up and every cd every single thing that he put out i've heard it so many times i just think he is the ultimate creator um i love mariah carey i love aretha franklin she's just one of my favorite singers that exists uh, I love Led Zeppelin too. I, I really love some good old rock. I, I like Aerosmith. Um, one that's not as popular that's one of my favorites is Mother's Finest. Um, I don't think I know them. Yeah, they're such a great band. I want to say they were at their height in the 70s, 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I learned about them later, you know, when they weren't at the top of their prime, but they are so cool. <laughs> They're so good to this day. Like if I need to get things done or if I need to clean, I put on like mother's finest on vinyl. Cause I'm like, this will make me so happy that I will just get through this. I got to check um, that out. Yeah. So good. Start with the song, baby love. That's the one. Okay. Okay. Uh, it, like a soulful rock. It sounds yeah, like yeah. yeah. It's very similar to like Rufus with Shaka Khan, which is another favorite. 
Um, but yeah, I, I have a lot of favorites, but I think those are the, the main ones. That is awesome. That's a great list. So I know that you mentioned growing up, you know, I mean, people see you now and they say, you know, Kendra, you know, born with musical talent, probably always had everything going for her. But, you know, you mentioned that you kind of, you know, you weren't necessarily the most popular kid in school. Um, if you could go back to yourself in that time frame and, and give a boost of confidence, what would you tell your teenage self? Um, you know, I think I would just tell her, I would probably tell her what my mom told me a lot, which was, <laughs> this is not the highlight of your life. And that is a great thing. You know, she was like, it is just way too early to peak. And anyone who does is not going to have a cool rest of their life. So don't even worry about it. Like your, your moment comes way later and it's going to be a lot cooler. Um, yeah. I think that that was just the perfect advice. I wouldn't change it. Absolutely. How does your day begin and how does it end? You know, this year it's gotten quite a bit different. Um, but the last few years, I've had a big focus on beginning my day with gratitude. Um, I just think it sets the tone for the day. And if you can just find even the smallest thing to say a thanks for, it, it ripples into the rest of your day. So, I just try to make everything in my morning routine, like just this loving act of gratitude. Like when I make coffee, I'm just like, oh my gosh, thank you for coffee. Like I get to have coffee and I love coffee so much that I'm that person that about this time every night, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, just a few hours, I get to have coffee. <laughs> um, and it sounds silly, but I just think finding a grateful spirit really sets the tone for the day. I like to spend a few minutes and do a little bit of meditation and do some breathing exercises. Really, I have so much time right now with being home and not touring. But even when I'm on the road, that, that's something that if I make the time for it, I'm never upset that I did. It always makes my day go better. And I end my day very similarly. I like to journal um and i like to write out like positive affirmations um in the form of thank yous um <laughs> i just think it's a really great way to visualize what you want and like set the tone of gratitude for what you want and i like to look back on my journals and look at things that have come to fruition um you know and see like oh you know a year ago today i was like gratefully hoping for this and here we are you know wow wow i what a day your typical day is what a lot of people need to do either the beginning or the ending of the whole thing that's uh that's pretty deep oh. it's just the smallest stuff and we are also convinced that we don't have time for it but i promise if you take five minutes and do that stuff your whole day is so much nicer yeah, I mean, it's it's just about setting up your day to, to be the best that it can. But also, too, I bet you with the journaling, does that kind of help you with lyrics or songwriting? Oh, for sure. I think that writing is such a muscle. And um, the more you exercise any muscle, the, the stronger and the more used to the work it gets. So I've always been an avid writer. Like, you know, I'm just 
I've always had like five notebooks going at a time, like my whole life. That's just kind of my vibe. And it makes sense that I'm a writer, you know, that's what I love to do. <laughs> it sure does. I got to tell you, Kendra, you are wise beyond your years, young lady. Well, thank you. <laughs> so tell me what's, what's next on the horizon. What can we look forward to from you? So I am uh, really excited. Um, a collaboration album that I was a part of will be out January 30th. There is a nonprofit called Right by the Sea, and they normally take a group of creatives and put everybody in a beach house together and everyone writes and hangs and creates an album. And this year I got chosen to be one of those people, but because it wasn't safe, we did not go to a place together. We all did this collaboration remotely. So I wrote my song um, over Zoom with the producers of the record. And I recorded my vocals at my home studio and put background vocals on a couple of the other songs on the project. And I'm just super excited to share it with people. I just got the masters recently and the whole album sounds killer. And that will be out January 30th. So I'm really excited for that. And I also recently sang a song that is going to be playing in the credits of a Netflix documentary on the history of dance. Nice. I don't know what the documentary is called and I don't know exactly when it's going to be out, but that will be happening sometime soon. And I'm really excited for that to get out into the world because it's a really cool song. I did not write it. It's a song that we probably all recognize, but it was really fun to sing. So I'm excited for that to get out. <laughs> That's so cool. That's uh I love discovering new artists on, you know, film, TV. It seems like that's kind of the way it's going. Yeah, and I'm hopeful. Like, that was another deciding factor in putting my album out. I just, I knew that sometime sooner than later, this documentary will be coming out. And I thought, you know, people are all at home watching Netflix like I've been. And this comes out and people hear that and they want to know who I am. It would be really beneficial if my album is already out in the world when they go look for me. So hoping that that works to my advantage. <laughs> it will. It will. Well, Kendra, it has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. So I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice talking with you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. And tell us where we can find you online. Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, which is at Kendra Chantel. And I have a little link tree in my bio there that will take you to my Spotify and my online store and my website and all the other places. So Instagram is a great starting point. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kendra... Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing everything that's coming out. I'm also going to jam out to your album and uh, vibe on it. And uh, we got to do part two sometime again. I would love that. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your evening. You too. Thank you, Kendra. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for checking out the Jeff Antonio show. Make sure you click the like button. And if you like it that much, hit the subscribe button for future episodes. Make sure to check out our playlists and our links below. Until the next time, as always, keep up the hustle. Hey!